Well, Figgy, it's the season finale of Amazing But True, and it was the finale on Sunday for Buck Showalter as the Mets are opting to go in another direction, and it's the season premiere of David Stearns as he has his opening press conference on Monday. The Mets season ends, but now the offseason begins, and under a new president of baseball operations, it's going to be a very, very intriguing and telling offseason ahead for the Metsies. Yeah, even after his presser day one, he has a lot of work on his hands. There's a lot of things to do within the organization and a lot of directions uh, to take this organization. So there's good uh, players in place. There's good people in place. And let's see what kind of vision he has for the New York Mets and their future, um, especially for next year. He talks about a competitive 2024 team. It's going to be very telling to see what are the first couple of moves he does, including hiring a new manager. In Stearns, we trust. Who are those managerial candidates? We'll discuss that. What do we think overall of the Mets season? And is there other guys that should be fired besides Buck Showalter? We'll recap the disappointing 2023 season. Look forward to the offseason, Stearns, the new manager, and a whole lot more. It's coming up next on the season finale of Amazing But True from the New York Post. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. I think the players know I would never quit or resign. This organization's in a good place with Steve. He's always going to be in a competitive mode. We're going to be competitive, and uh, but you know I'm not going to get out in front of that decision. I've got a new person here who's going to help me think about things, and, and I look forward to having those conversations. We are going to prioritize sustainable competitiveness. I believe we can build a team um, that will be competitive in 24 while not sacrificing the future years. Welcome to the season finale of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside former Mets pitcher Nelson Figueroa as the season ends here. You can still catch Figgy on Picks 11, 7 to 7.30 p.m. You can catch me doing other podcasts here at the New York Post into oblivion uh, as the Jets try to win some games and the Giants try to win some games. You can catch gangs all here in Blue Rush, but this is it for now? We'll be back soon because there will be a new manager soon. Figgy, we enter Sunday. I get to the ballpark. I'm in Delta Club bathroom and I open Twitter and bang. Buck Showalter tells the media he will not be returning as Mets manager. So we have to react to Buck. We have to put the bow on. I still haven't got confirmation. Is it a 74 win team? Uh, is it a 74 and 87 team? Or is it a 74 and 88 team? Because no one has said if that suspended game is finalized and if we're finishing at 161 or 162, it's actually bothering me very much. It shouldn't, but it's bothering me that they haven't said that yet. So I'm just going to assume it's 74 and 87 and they're not going to finalize that last game. Um, 74 win under, you know, underperforming season. We'll talk about that. And David Stearns, Figgy, gets his introductory press conference Monday. Uh, we got quite a lot to do today, huh? Definitely a lot to do today when, you know, season ends and a new era begins um, almost immediately. Uh, David Stern's presser, of course, uh, talking about as soon as he got done introducing himself and talking about some of his ideas and philosophies, he was going to sit down at his desk and start getting to work on day one, which is, um, you know, Im impressive for a guy who's getting to live out his lifelong dream uh, as a Met fan. What would I do as a Met? What was I do as the GM? What was I? What would I do as you know the guy in charge? We've seen it with Steve Cohen. We see it now with David Stearns. So they're getting people in house who have Met ties um, in you know 
in their heart. So you know they want to do the right thing. You know they're going to try and do the right thing. And it's not just by the fans, but because they realize that this organization has been starving for a winning team um, with some consistency. And at the same time, you're, you're looking at not having a president of baseball operations for three years is a very difficult thing. And I loved Figgy that he said the bad boy element. I snuck in a Shea Stadium sometime. I mean, that gave him a little bit of street cred. You know, he wanted to put the and then he went to put the polar bear peach shades on. And he said, Pete Alonzo will be our first baseman next year on opening day. He said we signed under contract. Uh, I know. But he he quickly refuted those. Put that out there. And that was the big quote that came out of the presser. But I think he said, you know, all the right things about it. Now he can raise his family, his two kids, Mets fans. I thought that was cool how he snuck in his shay, how he, you know, knows how this fan base operates, how he's been through the roller coaster. He's one of us. And I think Mets fans like that about Uncle Stevie, who looked absolutely disheveled. I mean, was he on a oh, bender? Yeah. He hasn't slept. was like out here. I'm like, did Alex advise you with what you're wearing? What he really hasn't slept, or he's been drinking, or something? Because he looked disheveled. When you have that much money, I guess you can pop three collars. He was wearing three shirts with collars, and then he put I, a blazer over those. I was like, <laughs> "Did you? Try, you have a you're a billionaire. You need a fashion consultant. Yeah, I need something." But uh, going back to Stearns, right, and and some of the things that he said, I think one of the the biggest things is yes the up and down the roller coaster of being a fan and even while you know working in baseball for with the brewers for eight years you know he never didn't look at the sports section or realize what was going on and he kind of knows the pulse of what's this this team and this organization has been through so i i think it's getting people that uh, are in alignment with him it's it's not that simple i know you think oh well well everybody wants to be on the same page right when you talk about going a different direction i hate that freaking term I hate that term. Whenever they're bringing you in and they're telling you, hey, you know, we want to go in a different direction. Well, the direction I want to go is winning and winning a world championship. I think that's every ball player, every front office guy, every manager's, you know, their, their goal. So when you say you want to go in a different direction, direction, that's just cliche. And that's for not wanting to say the truth. Just say the truth, man. That 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 pisses me off more than anything to tell somebody like Buck Showalter, you know, we want to go in a different direction. Yeah, he doesn't want to lose either. He didn't come into the season trying to lose, and he wasn't trying to manage to lose. So I, I'm not sure where they thought that that was going to be a, you know, oh, oh, thumbs up. Okay, I get it. No, he doesn't get it. He was brought here on a three-year contract. They went 101 games the first year. Uh, the second year was over before it started. You're talking about three months into the season, you're already talking about breaking it all up and starting over. The plans change. And I think we've talked about this before, right, with uh, Billy Epler and the three different directions we've gone in in less than two seasons. But it, it seems to be, you know, it was Buck's job of, you know, getting a winning product out of what was given to him. And he wasn't able to do that. So it was Buck that had to be asked to either step down or, again, get fired. And so it's just a hard thing to see when they talk about looking for a new manager. What are you looking for? And everything he described was Buck Showalter. So your argument is, if Buck's going, why is Billy Epler still here? One million percent. Because Billy Epler is the one who put this team together. He's the one who made changes throughout the organization. Buck Showalter didn't make any changes throughout the organization. He's in charge. Buck Showalter, as the manager, is in charge of the major league team. That's it. It's like going to Vegas and trying to play someone else's cards, right? Even if you're playing blackjack and you're looking at, hey, I would, you know what I would do? It's none of your damn business. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You do what you do with whatever cards are given to you. And that's what happened with Buck Showalter. Yes, on paper in February, the team looked much, much it looked unbeatable, right? They shouldn't have lost a game on paper. And then as you're going through the, all, uh, through the season, you started out without Verlander and Quintana. Already you lose two of your starters that are supposed to be there every fifth day. You have Senga who has to be off every six, you know, has to need six days. So now you got to back up everyone. Uh, your two younger guys and Peterson and McGill never, never got their feet underneath them until the end of the season where you're playing against, you know, sometimes lesser talent, whatever it may be. But they didn't step up in, a, in the way that we had seen them step up before. And that's why they were being counted on. And they didn't go out and get anybody else. Carrasco was a disaster again, uh, up and down, up and down, and then injured as well. So it never caught traction from the starting rotation, only being able to give you four to five innings max to the bullpen and guys that you 
never heard of trying to keep their head above water. And that was only, you know, inevitable that that wasn't going to work. You lost Diaz. You didn't replace Diaz. You you lost, you had guys shift over and they could only do it for so long. Those, those things were never addressed. And so Billy Epler is the guy who came in. They won 101 games. They said to Billy Epler, wow, you did such an amazing job. Now we're going to open up the bank book. What would you do to make this team, not just a contender, but a world series favorite, and he did what he thought was right. And we agreed with a lot of the moves. Problem is, just like with analytics, this game isn't played on paper. When things start to happen, how do you make the adjustments? And he never made an adjustment. He sat back and then said, you know what? We don't have enough talent in the minor leagues. Well, there was a problem with that because you fired all the coaches in the minor leagues. You fired all the lifelong grinders and former ball players and big leaguers and search for more analytics and let the guys get more analytical with their approach to baseball. And that isn't getting it done. There's no, I love what David Stern says. There's no secret sauce. There's no secret formula. There's no magic potion. Okay. Moneyball was something that was different and it stood out because it was different. Then everybody said, Oh my God, we have these same numbers. Let's try and do the same thing. So now when all 29 guys are doing it, it becomes common. It's no longer the rare thing to do. Where we're at now in baseball, yeah, if you somehow could be the Braves and lock up all your young talent in their first year of playing, you know, a major league on the major league team to a team-friendly deal for eight-plus years, go ahead and do that. It doesn't work anywhere else. Have you seen it happen anywhere else that you get five guys who are going to be your mainstays of your organization agreeing to terms – way less than market value. I've never heard of this. And yet here we are sitting here going, don't pay Pete Alonzo because you don't have to this year. Wait till free agency and then outbid everybody else. What what are you looking for here? What, there's a catch-22 in, in philosophy and in, in approach and in execution. The bottom part is the execution comes down to the X's and O's of the game. We know there's no way that Buck Schulter sat there and said that, Vogelback was the right guy to be backing up Pete Alonso or being the DH all season long. That's being fed to him. There's no way. With his own eyes, he can tell you, should the guy be there, should the guy not be there? Uh, the, the way that things were handled, this just it didn't seem like there was a buck. There was, there was less buck involved than there was in year one. Well, that's reacting there. One, I'm not going to argue that Billy Epler should be out the door. I mean, he should be. He's done a terrible job. Two, I'm fine with this decision. I think you're going in a younger direction. You're going in a different direction. A new president of baseball operations. I just didn't see Buck being a fit for next year. Everything's right about what happened. There were injuries. Things went wrong. They also underperformed. You know, they also call it Mark Vientos and Daniel Vogelbeck still plays every day. I don't know if that's a Buck decision or an Epler. It could be an Epler thing. Who knows? But there were moves that Buck made that, you know, we're not did not work out. And that was one of them. You know, he rides for his guys. He likes his certain players. He likes his veterans. In some ways, that didn't work out for him. The team underachieved. And, you know, the blame goes on the manager more times than not. So when you finish with 74 wins in a year, you should have won 96 plus. You're going to get canned. And, uh, you know, he may have not deserved it, but the team underperformed no matter what happened and obstacles he faced. And, uh, you know, you're cleaning up house here. And I think, you know, the, you know what has to go? Everyone else has to go. I mean, Jeremy Hefner should not be back. I assume that's going to follow here in the coming days that coaches will be let go. Maybe Cora stays. I think Cora was, was pretty well liked and is a good coach. Maybe he's a manager candidate. Maybe Eric Chavez is a managerial candidate. Where do they go here? That's going to be the question. Do they go with the Craig Council approach? Does he leave Milwaukee and follow? You know, Stern says they're going to cast a wide net from guys who manage and guys who have not. Carlos Beltran, I don't know which one he falls under because he never actually managed, but he was a manager for however many hours it was. Uh, is he a candidate? He's in the organization. Is it Joe Espada? Is it Eric Chavez from the coaching staff? Is it Council? You know, this is a huge decision here because, you know, this rotating, revolving doors of manager Figgy cannot happen anymore. They need to get this right, and they need to hit a home run because this is the manager that has to win a ring for the Mets. Well, uh, think about it this way, right? When Terry Collins came in, and Terry was well-liked by everybody in the organization, came in because he knew the from the minor league level on up to all the big league guys. They knew, they knew him, he knew them. And he was able to make, you know, uh, his, his moves and, and the, the player personnel and what he wanted to shape that team up. And it wasn't until 2015 that all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, Terry Collins is a pretty good manager. Why? Because they were winning. And why were they winning? Because they went out and made all the moves that they needed to make to make that world series run. Right. 
but that all goes on the players. So when we sit back here and after three and a half months of a failed experiment and they decide to blow it all up and you say they came up short, they only won 74 games. They didn't win 74 games with the same team. Lindor hits 30 home runs in 99 RBIs. Pete Alonso hits 45 home runs, 46 home runs, whatever it was, um, and uh, over 115 RBIs. So you're telling me at the end of the season with these guys putting up these numbers, Brandon Nimmo still had a very successful season, 25 home runs. McNeil was trending upwards. Those veteran guys that they got rid of, Tommy Pham was carrying the team in, in July and really any game that they had a chance at in June. Tommy Pham was carrying the team. Uh, Mark Canna went on to have tremendous success in Milwaukee. So all those guys that they pulled away from, it what, we sat there and said it. What if? They were only six games out. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they would have turned it around. But you can't say, oh, they only won 74 games. That team that he got after August was not a team that was supposed to win 96 games. He got the short on the stick. There's no doubt about it that the last two months he was managing a team that was, you know, it was more managing the Syracuse Mets than the New York Mets, it felt like. So it's a tough break. But once you knew Stearns was going to happen, you knew this was a strong possibility and he'll bring his own guy. And you feel for Buck because clearly he was emotional. They give him the tribute. It's the awkward pre before the game press conference. He said it was either, you know, I step aside or or or. And then he paused to figure out what to say, because the other way was fired. It was either they're going to fire me or I step aside. So, you know, me stepping aside means, you know, it's it's kind of the nice veteran approach to avoiding, you know, them saying you're fired. You feel him because he was emotional. You see the dugout, he goes in, he's like right jotting something on the line. I'm like, bro, the season's over. You're not writing anything. You're hiding your emotion. And you, you felt like there were some tears flowing. So you feel for him because, you know, Buck's great to the media. He always gives you a fun quote. He's a good manager. And when he came here, I was elated. I think things turn this year, and I, I just want a fresh slate here. And, yeah, it means I want Epler gone, but unfortunately we got to live with that. That's the problem. we got to live with Billy Epler still here. Yeah, my so two things, right? So the, talk about the emotional support that he got from his players. Lindor was practically in tears talking about Buck being fired. You know, Pete Alonzo was, you know, trying to sit back and think about it, and they said it was really raw. You know, the emotions of it are really raw right now. They didn't want to say if it was a good or a bad move. They, they, it's not, and to a man, which I love about players that kind of get it, is it's not their place to say. It's not their place to say. They're they're getting paid uh, whoever's in charge is in charge. They're getting played to go out there and play. The reason that Buck isn't there is because they didn't play well enough. And Lindor said that, you know, first and foremost. Um, but when you talk about all the intangibles that you need from a manager and this, that, and the other thing, you were describing Buck Showalter all over again. So if you hired him for a three-year contract, my biggest thing is we're in this age of instantaneous, right? You either have success or you don't get rid of them. Let's go to the next guy. Let's go to the next guy. Our attention span can't focus and, and understand all the nuances of it. So there is a way, not not a way, you could have seen Buck Showalter come back and be that transitional guy because if it didn't work out, or what if it did work out in year three? You needed somebody that knows this clubhouse, who knows what happened when it was 100 wins and knows what happened when it was 74 wins because he knows the good and the bad. Right now you come in with somebody fresh from the outside, whoever it may be, and it's not about managerial experience. It's about, oh my God, this guy's never managed in New York before, right? He might not be able to handle the media. He might not be able to handle his players. These guys have been through a lot. Brandon Nimmo's been through four managers. He's going to have a fifth. And he's, he's only six years into his career. That's freaking crazy. So I, I think one of the things that I, I harp on, and, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not an apologist, but man, he just won 101 games, manager of the year for the fourth time. And this year, it just didn't happen. But you can't sit here and say that he was the reason every single time of everything that went wrong. You, you had what you had. He tried the best that he could. It's three-year contract, one up, one down. Let's see what we can do with the next one with a guy in charge of the whole organization, with the guy who has a vision for what this team could be, with all the new prospects that you got. That's what I wanted to see. And if that happens and you're middle, you get to May of next year and bam, you want to get rid of them, you had somebody waiting in the wings ready, you know, warming up just in case because you got it. I felt like you had to at least give them the opportunity. And the opportunity was, hey, listen, no matter what, you're not coming back past next year. And he stepped down then that's different. But one thing that he said, and he made sure he said it, all that, he said he had like five paragraphs written and he only got through the half of the first one. He didn't quit on this team. He didn't quit on this organization or the fans. He wasn't quitting. He wanted to make that very clear. And there's a big difference, right? There's a big difference being asked to step down and him saying, I can't do this job. 
you know, in some ways the organization quit on him with the likes of Jonathan Arauz and, and, and Danny freaking Mendick, who I hope I never have to utter his name again. And I utter it over the weekend again, and now I hope it's over. And, uh, you know, that's going to be the key here for Stearns is organizational depth from top to bottom. And you really saw, and you hate to keep go- harping back to this, when the Edwin Diaz injury happened, everything, the trickle-down effect was real. The bullpen sucked. They didn't have that closer, that MVP. The atmosphere, as you might overlook it, the trumpets, everything, everything changed when Edwin Diaz went down. Then Verlander goes down. The Scherzer suspension, the Scherzer injury. Scherzer ends up sucking every five days. So it was really a trickle-down effect to a 74-win disappointing team that we got four months of, and then we got two months of the four AMS. You know, we had some fun storylines. We finally saw Ronnie Mauricio. And now you go into the offseason here with with a fresh slate, a new team president. He's a Mets fan. He wants to do what's right for this team. Now he's going to have more money than he's ever had to do it. The question is, what will his approach be? Does he go crazy in free agency? Do they go for Otani and Yamamoto? Do they make a trade for Juan Soto? In my mind, that is a no-brainer. Do all you can to get Juan Soto. I would say, do they trade Pete Alonso? Doesn't look like it's going to happen. You know, it's still early, but for him to make that statement and say, I expect him to be our opening day first baseman means he's either exciting extension or he's playing out that last year of the contract. So that I know made a lot of fans happy. A lot of fans with a deep sigh of relief. They're already in love with David Stearns for, you know, having Pete Alonso stick around. He's got a lot to do, Figgy. He's got to get three starting pitchers. He's got to get two to three setup men. Because Adam Adovino kind of turned course the other day and said, I, I got to see what happens here. There's a lot of changes going on. I'm not sure I'm going to come back. I don't think Met, any Met fan is going to lose sleep if Adam Adovino says, I'm, I'm out of here. Because while his numbers ended up being okay, he, you know, he did. He's a liability with a guy on base. Yeah. I mean, I mean, good God. I mean, guy steal second, steal third the other night. I'm like, you might as well steal home. I mean, <laughs> this guy, you steal every base of him. So, Figgy, you need three to four relievers, you need three starting pitchers. And then what do you do with the baby Mets? I think it's foolish if Brett Beatty is a starting player next year. I I know some people have said, someone on Twitter said to me, I've been too hard on Brett Beatty. He's just not a starting player right now. He can't play any good defense and he can't hit consistently. So I think Ronnie Maurice is going to be fighting for it. Brett Beatty will fight for a spot, but you got to get a couple of position players, relievers and three starting pitchers and a manager and probably a new coaching staff. So good luck to you, David Stearns. There's a lot of work to do, but Figgy, there is a core in place. You have the best closer, arguably, in the game. You got a power in first baseman. You got, you know, a former batting champion. You have Brandon Nimmo. You have Starling Marte. You expect coming back healthy. You now have a franchise catcher who finishes the season with 25 homers after a two-homer night the other night. So you got your catcher. You got your first baseman, the second baseman, Ronnie, third. You got your shortstop. You got Nimmo. You got Marte. There are pieces on offense in place. And a, a true, real, you know, a guy who became an ace in the ghost forkball and this guy. You have a serviceable three or four in Catano in a really nice second half of the year when he came back. So there are pieces in place to have success here. No, without a doubt. And I think that's one of the things that was so attractive to him is, yes, it, it, this isn't getting the 2012 Mets. You know what I mean? He's getting the this version of Mets team who that they have nine of their 17 prospects that they have in their top 20 are in double A AA or triple A level. That means they can make the jump to the big leagues. That means that these guys are definitely on the radar for being able to help out this organization, not in the near future. It could be as soon as next year. Um, those guys playing in the in the playoffs, in the championships, down in the Eastern League, you want that kind of success. You want that kind of atmosphere and these guys to play in that because you want them to know that's what they're playing for. That's what they're, they're not playing for exit velocity. They're not playing for freaking on base percentage. They're not playing for, uh, you know, all the little uh, peripherals to say, oh, well, can this guy play baseball? You know how I know if a guy can play baseball when there's standing room only crowd and the game is on the line and he hits a three run home run to tie it. That's what uh, Drew Gilbert has done down in the double A playoffs. He's a guy that seems to feed off that energy. Jet Williams had a fantastic year. You know, you got Acuna's. Little brother who's going to come up. Um, what's really weird is that by the time he probably comes up, he's going to be the uh, older brother. It seems like Acuna doesn't age, and he just went. What did you go? Forty and seventy-five. 40, I mean, yeah. some kind of ridiculous numbers. And th- there's there's help on the way with the upper levels of the minor league system. Yes, they have to go out and get. They have to address the pitching. So if you do, I think the Shohei Otani thing is all up to Shohei if he wants to stay on the East Coast, uh, on the West Coast, or come to the East Coast. If he's coming to the East Coast, then the Mets are not going to be outbid. 
right? So that's the bottom line. You figure you, if you're looking somewhere near that $500 million mark, somewhere near half a billion dollars for a, a you know once in a lifetime unicorn, even if he doesn't pitch at the same level again, you're still talking about once in a lifetime unicorn because of the uh, international uh, attention that he's going to gain and, and the Mets will be worldwide um, you know, selling everywhere. Uh, that it's a no-brainer that that's your investment this year. The Juan Soto trade, well, you just talked about. Brett Beatty is kind of a guy that you're on the fence about. Can he play? Does he have the exit velocity? Does he have the peripherals? Sure. Is San Diego an easier place to play? Without a doubt. Manny Machado is looking to opt out of his contract as well. We, we've heard reports about that. So if you package Brett Beatty and two other prospects, you remember you're only getting Juan Soto as a rental right now. Do You have to then lock him up. Juan Soto is going to be 25 years old next year. And he's a six-time All-Star. You know, they had 35 home runs again this year and a bad year and a down year. Juan Soto is going to take a ton of money to sign as well, right? So now you're going to have to spend a ton of money on those two guys. So now Pete Alonso, we're going back to him. How much is it going to take to take Pete Alonso? So now you're looking maybe three players that you're going to have to lock up for almost a billion dollars. A billion for three players. We just went over $90 million for two pitchers, but... A billion dollars for those three players? Now, homegrown Pete Alonso, that's something that you feel the organization has to do. When he said that Pete will be the starting first baseman next year, great move. He didn't say after the trade deadline, right? Because if you're going to get something, you go to a contender, you go get some pieces. Now you have more pieces and whatever happens, maybe one of these young kids is hitting 30 home runs in the minor leagues, you bring them up. And is it replaceable that easy? No. Is it the heart and soul of this, this team? Yeah, he has been. But this era is over. This era is over. So now you have to worry about the future. So how much are you willing to spend? We know the pockets are deep as anybody on the planet, but you're supposed to learn from your mistakes. I'm not saying that Soto or Otani would be a mistake, but if you're going to get one of them, you're probably not going to get the other and you're not going to give up resources to get either one. And I think it's important to not overlook some of the small signings that you might see Stearns do because a lot of these great teams, it starts from that number eight depth piece. It starts from that bench bat. So I think what Stearns will do is get those depth guys. We saw them at struggle in that department. You know, I hate to keep saying Danny Mendick, but he's not a major league player. So if he could sign a, a good bench player that can step in, the Mets need guys that could step in and fill voids. They did not have that this year. You know, whether it was Peterson sucking, McGill sucking, you know, the middle relief sucking. They did not have guys to step in and fill voids and be major league players. And I think Stearns is going to be important across the board to fill those holes that the Mets have. Because, you know, we know about the young prospects and what they could do, but there's, there's not a ton of those. There's a, there's a few here and there, but there's not a lot, especially on the pitching side. They have some young pitching talent, but not, a, they're, you know, in terms of the rest of the league, they're on the bottom tier, you know, when it comes to across the board pitching talent. And you have two major league starting pitchers right now. That's got to get addressed. Pitching wins ball games, and it, you know, it won't take you know forty million dollar thirty nine year olds. It won't take that, but it'll take hitting it right. Well, you know, I think it's a lock. They're getting Yamamoto if they don't get Otani. Same agent as Senga. I really think there's a strong chance he will be a New York Met if he wants to be. And then you got to get it right with those guys. Whether it's an Aaron Nola, whether it's you, you try and get a Kershaw at the back end of his career as the veteran in this rotation. Whether it's one of those other guys, Martin Perez, who a depth piece, you got to get it right on the pitching side because offensively, say they do get Soto, let's just play the let's just play the what if game. And your team, Figgy, is Alvarez, Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, Mauricio, Soto, Nimmo, Marte, and then whoever's DH Vientos. If you get a JD Martinez, that's a hell of an offense. I mean, if, you, if that if that ends up being your offense, oh, big what if? Yeah, hell of an offense. And then it comes down to pitching. So. They're only a few of the right moves along with the pitching staff away from being a contender. So the the naysayers will say, don't trade for Soto because you're not contending next year. But why not contend? Because if, if this guy is as smart as he is and he gets it all right and the manager's right, there's no reason to not think the Mets could win, you know, 90 games in 2024. No, without a doubt. I mean, they're not far off. You're not talking about a team that is is spiraling and, and, and expiring contracts that they – you know, we, we know Uncle Stevie is able to absorb 
anything of that nature. And they did, right? They went out and got rid of all the 40-somethings. They got rid of all the older guys. They got rid of all the – anybody who wasn't signed past 2024, they got rid of those guys. And it was the smart thing to do at the time because they wanted to get the organization in a better place. That's wonderful. Did nothing for their major league club. And so now when you have the president of baseball ops in place, he has to sit there and start – saying the what ifs on every single position of who's available and not who's available this year in this off season. It's who's available next year, next year's off season, right? It's, it's where do you go from there? Like if somebody's going to go out and trade for Soto, great, but he's going to be a free agent after next year. So if it's only going to be money, then you're going to be able to get Soto when you pay him as a free agent. It's the same thing with Pete Alonso. He plays out the last year of his contract. He's going to go to arbitration and, and make over $20 million in arbitration and now it's like, where are we at at the end of this? And do we outbid ourselves or do we just, you know, lock him up at the end of that contract? So it's not something that has to be number one priority because he's under contract. He will be the starting first baseman for the New York Mets next year. That's what he said. Um, now, when it comes to all the pitching, it's not a lot out there. Like Blake Snell is out there and he's going to win a Cy Young. Now coming off a of Cy Young, he's going to want a lot of money. We haven't seen a lot of guys, once they get the bag, stay that same guy. Right. Look at Rodon. Look at Rodon. If you Snell, Sanga, Quintana, I mean, you're setting yourself up nicely if you pull off a Blake Snell. Well, the the pro, what's the problem? It's only money. They'll be able to pull off a Blake Snell, no problem. So you're talking about a young a young left hander who's coming off his best year. Uh, he's done it before. He's been to the World Series. He's the guy that seems like it fit. So why are we even thinking about this? Hater is a guy who's um, going to be a free agent. So you bring in Hater at the back end. Bring him too. Let's get them all. Get, get, bring me all these guys. Why not? But what I'm saying is, if, if you you're talking about uh, elite players, right, in their prime, still, you're not talking about guys at the end of their career where you're hoping them they're still going to be able to do what they did last year, Magic. So and those are so you got those two and Otani. If it's only just money, and you get those three pieces. Would you? That, that's an absolute success, but you still have to, like you said, it's the little pieces. It's all of the bullpen. I need my AAA depth in my bullpen. Tampa Bay Rays were notorious for this. The reason they, they they made a new rule in the new CBA that you can't send the guy up and down three times without then having to designate him for assignment so that other people can get a crack at him. If he's good enough to come up to the big leagues three different times, he's good enough to stay in the big leagues. So what the Tampa Bay Rays used to do is, our sixth inning guy has to be a three-pitch pitcher just in case he has to face the lineup more than once. So we're going to have all the three-pitch pitch guys that are in AAA. They are on a rotating thing. You know what I mean? It was a month. That that spot got $666,000, whatever it was, for the minimum at that point. And they just kept plugging in and playing. They didn't care his name. They just cared about what he could do, right? Then the seventh inning guy. Then the eighth inning guy. Their closers over the past you know four years of them going into the playoffs, their closer wasn't even on their team. Their closer wasn't on their team. Their closer would be a guy who started out in the minor leagues and he continued to be uh, hone his craft. He's throwing 98 to 102. And then they bring him in during the playoffs and nobody's seen him. And I go, who is this guy? So they have done it in a way where baseball is like, hold on, let's slow this down because we know what you guys are doing. You guys aren't slick. You're just rotating these 14 pitchers in the minor leagues, these power arms, and teams don't get to see them. They don't get to scout them. And all they get is arm after arm after arm that it seems like we don't never heard of these guys, but they're still good enough. So they have to be able to get guys of that caliber to plug in and continue to plug in if something was to go wrong. When Edwin Diaz went down, and it wasn't just like, who are you going to go get? At the time, there was nobody that you could really go get. Chapman wound up going to Texas because, you know, they felt like they could make that run. And Chapman was different than Chapman in Kansas City. Kansas City is easy to apparently have saves and under a one ERA. And then he got to Texas and it was all, oh, here we go. The same old Chapman's giving up home runs. He's blowing games. So there's no magic sauce. There's no secret to it. So they just have to have more depth all the way top to bottom. And it's going to be about who the, the coaching staffs and how they're built and how they're able to get the best out of these players. We'll close here. Let's just get a state of the Mets. And I'll start with this saying, leaving the ballpark Sunday, you know, there's always next year. Your hope is always next year. And in the bad years, it's the famous Mets. There's always next year. And you have the hope for next year. I'm going to miss the ballpark, man. You know, sad leaving on Sunday. Be like, damn, this was such a disappointing season. A year after just sitting there quietly after losing two out of three in the wild card and not even showing life that game. There's another year where it was like, you know, we had all the hope in the world and it went down the toilet, but I'll miss the ballpark. And, you know, as negative as we've been and as bad as it's been after the trade deadline of clearly they punted away the season, 
I have hope. I believe in David Stearns. I believe Stearns will get this right. This is a guy who is smart. This is a guy who's had success in Milwaukee without all the money in the world. This is a guy who is a Mets fan, who knows this fan base, who is from New York, who knows these streets, who has snuck in a Shea Stadium, who has been to games just like we have, and I have all the faith that he will get it right. Do I have all the faith in Billy Upper? No. But Stearns will have the final call, and whatever Billy says does not go. Whatever David says will go. And you could see the trust that Steve Cohen has in him. He says, you know, he'll make the calls. He'll he'll be make the managerial call. Cohen is going to go with whatever Stearns goes with. And I think the Mets finally got it right, and they finally have a lead voice atop this front office that could get this thing right. I think there is hope. There is obviously money. There's a beautiful ballpark. There's young talent. You're going to get younger. That is key. You're not going to have 40-year-olds atop the rotation. You have a dominant closer returning. I think the future of this franchise is bright. I think Stearns will get it right at manager. If it's Craig Council, great. If it's Carlos Beltran, great. I think that's a great PR move. I think fans would love Beltran. If it's Council, great. Fans will love that. He's had success. Look, the Brewers just won the division. Not an easy division. He won the NL Central. So I think Stearns is going to hit it out of the park, but this is where it starts. There is lots to do here, but if you get it right, there's no reason to be like, all right, they won't even be a wild card team next year. Why can't the 2024 Mets win a World Series if it's a home run? So my status of the team, frustrating year, roller coaster year. Honestly, I'm glad it's over. It sucked the life out of me losing games and watching Mendick, you know, out there, watching Arauz out there, watching some of these bums that we had to see. But it took doing that and being a seller and, and starting fresh to take the next step on this path. And I'm hopeful and I am optimistic, Figgy, about Stearns and about the future of the Mets franchise. No, I agree with you. And listen, I'm I'm as optimistic as anybody when it comes to uh, there's a nice core in place. When David Stearns comes here, he's looking at it as, you know, he's not getting a blank roster. He's not getting something that's subpar. Um, Yes, they played subpar this year and they tore it all down. But there's, you know, it's like when you renovate a house, there's still good bones to the structure. Um, And there's a lot of pieces in place. It's now his job and his vision of what this thing's going to become. We know what they need. We know the, how pitching is, is everything, but we've seen world series teams win world series without having five aces on their staff. We've seen, you know, bullpens where you didn't know the names of the guys and they still find a way to get the job done. So there's a multitude of ways to attack this. And I think that what I love about it is his vision from seeing it from the Brewers perspective is that he's done a lot with less. And so having those, the resources to be able to go to the bank and, uh, put the ATM card in and pull money out without having to worry about if there's money in the bank account is going to be key, right? Because now it's about making the right moves and the right fits and the right pieces that are going to give this team, not just next year's success. And I think that's what we were looking at for this year's team with Billy Epler saying, this is how we would succeed in 2023. It wasn't necessarily a longevity type thing. And I think he has a vision for this thing to work for a long, long time. And he's, been given a, a long-term contract. He's not on a two-year deal. I, I think the that's the other thing is seeing not just the managers, but the coaching staffs every two years change. It's very difficult for a player to get comfortable or to know you, you're going to hear four different versions of what it takes to be a big leaguer. You know what I'm saying? Like Brandon Nimmo, I said before, he's had five, he's going to have five different managers in his Mets tenure. And there's always going to be a manager who thinks he should do something a certain way. And it takes players a little while to have the confidence in themselves to be able to get the job done. And, uh, and it has to be a majority of the time or else you're really not a big leaguer. If it's, you know, one out of every, you know, eight time that you, you get the job done. So I'm looking forward to what the first move is going to be. I think that's going to be very telling. Um, I'm looking forward to see, you know, which, what Shohei Otani is, is looking to do. I think that's, you know, a huge piece because of what he brings both on the field, off the field. And when he comes back as a pitcher, you still have another huge weapon. Um, but there are things on the peripherals, like we said, that he has to fill in the cracks, but the foundation is good, right? So the foundation is good and let's see what he's able to do with what he has in front of him. 
It's another year, Figgy, where the off season is the season for the Mets. It's very much let's see what they do. And they've won. They've won off seasons, right? We've yeah. won the last two off seasons, but during the season, it hasn't been able to translate. You, you, also, one last thing: Braves aren't going anywhere. The Braves aren't going anywhere. Phillies aren't going anywhere. Hell, the Marlins aren't going are anywhere. On an upward the swing. The Marlins are on an upward swing. The Nationals Nash- even have a good have some promising young but, talent. But this is what we said from the beginning. The National League East was going to be probably the best division of baseball. Even with the Braves running away with it, you still see that this this division for the next few years is going to be very very tough to not just compete in but to make it to the playoffs um if you don't win the division because the wild card is one thing but there's a lot of teams that are in there we heard uh, oh you know fan said they only had a 12 percent chance well you know what I, I take my chances especially when guys are under contract and guys are a, a team has has been built to try and win this year then if it doesn't work then you tear it all down but we'll see what happens i i, I do think stearns is the, the right guy and I'm um, excited to see what he's able to do when he has both resources and vision. Get it right, David Stearns. As, as an aside here, you know, as the season ends here, the home season ends, one negative here that I want to make sure to point out, it's an absolute disgrace what the Mets are doing to season ticket holders and ticket members as they raise prices after a fourth-place season to the point where they're doing different tiers, and if you're one row behind this person, you're paying less money than them. Um, it's a disgrace. I was talking with a friend of mine who's a season ticket holder at the game yesterday, and the price rate, the price uh, increase was absolutely astronomical for him, and he's been a season ticket holder for years. So I hope the Mets get this right. It's an absolute shame what they're doing to those diehards, and I have said on this show, and I said it to you, I think season tickets in some ways is a dumb investment. You get, you, you get money, you get tickets a lot cheaper day off secondary market, uh, but I get the aspect of getting season tickets. You're a fan. You want your ticket locked in. You don't have to worry about day of getting tickets. People stress about that. I don't just because that's how I live my life when I go to events. Day of, cheapest price. I'm trying to save money. I don't got money like that. But if you have money and you can afford it, great. You cannot do this to the fan base. It's a disgrace. So I know it's probably not going to change, but I want to put that message out there that if you're going to raise these prices, you better you better bring caviar to their seat. You better, you know, shine their shoes and give them a back massage during before the game. You know, pregame back massage, something. Because it's a disgrace that a fourth place season that the prices went up this much. So, you know, my thoughts are with season ticket holders, and my thoughts and prayers are also with the Wakefield family. Rest in peace of Tim Wakefield. Just horrible news after the dope Kurt Schilling the other day had to tell the world about you know him dealing with brain cancer. Days later, after we find that out. He passes away. So, Figgy, you know, you pitched at the same, you know, during the same time, right? Don't say the same era. Don't say the same era. era. So, there were times you pitched against Tim Wakefield, great pitcher, a knuckleballer, a legend. Oh, man, just sad to hear that story. You know, we heard about Buck, and literally minutes later, we heard that Tim Wakefield passed. Just sad stuff. Yeah, really, really sad. Um, You know, I I had a a catcher that I was with in AAA with the Diamondbacks. His name was uh, Ken Huckabee. And um, he was trying to make the Red Sox team. And he figured his best bet, because they had just gotten rid of um, his personal catcher, has signed like a two-year, three-year deal with the San Francisco Giants and went out that way. And so he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call Tim Wakefield and I'm going to go catch his bullpens all off season. I'm leaving early. I'm going to get to know this guy. I'm going to try and, you know, be the guy that he says, Hey, I need my PC and this way I'll stay in the big leagues. And he was doing fantastic with him. Got all the way down to the last week of the uh, last week of the season, but then they tried to let the starting catcher, Meritech catch him and he couldn't catch him very well. And so what they do the last day of spring training, they traded for that guy to come back. And to catch Wakefield, and he didn't get a chance to do it. But Tim Wakefield was a breath of fresh air, a competitor um, with less than. I, I know Ari Dickey used to talk about it all the time, you know, how it revamped his career and how, you know, somebody like Tim Wakefield gives you hope when you're a guy who's throwing a knuckleball and everybody else is sitting back and the baseball is throwing harder and harder. Velocities are going up and it's always the knuckleball they'll wind up talking about and making on Sports Center because how rare it is to see somebody like that. And um, he was from all accounts you hear from everywhere and everything you're seeing all over social media, you know, he's going to be missed. He was beloved. And, um, you know, it, it's a shame the way that it came out. Um, and you know, we lost him way too soon. So our thoughts and prayers are with his family, of course. Yeah, man. I, I love the knuckleball and that guy was better than anyone. I mean, obviously the Negro and there's him, but 
Um, you know, him, them two, and Ari Dickey are the, are the three everyone looks to. But, man, I, I wish we saw more knuckleballs in baseball. So rest in peace to Tim Wakefield. And we'll close out this season finale of Amazing But True next. It's meaningful for me. It's cool for me that our kids get to grow up Mets fans now, that we get to live this journey together, and they get to experience a little bit of, of what I experienced as a kid growing up. All right, Figgy. You know, thanks, everybody, for listening to Amazing But True. I'm not going to give the whole spiel. Season's over, but, you know, off-season, if you want to catch up, New York Post Sports, YouTube, wherever you get podcasts, just search for Amazing But True. But I will put on, you know, we thought it'd be funny if I it was a walking Mets promotion. So you saw these. I do have the Buck Showalter-inspired windbreaker on right now. Fitting they gave it out, and days later, he's fired. And now, this was funny. People were laughing when I posted the picture of me with the Mets headband because they were not built for bald men. It is a weird look on a bald guy. So here we go. You ready for this? Looks like I'm starring in Cobra Kai. How ridiculous is that look? You look look like you're a line chef at some kind of restaurant. Benny, Benny, Hana. Would you like a shrimp and steak or chicken and steak, sir? So So that's that. So what did you what did you think about the uh, giveaways? Is the best year of giveaways that you've seen or no? It definitely was. Now, this uh, the crossbody back. I had trouble putting on. I wore it loud and proud yesterday. I felt like Zach Galifianakis and Hangover rocking. No, what it what it looks like is a training bra on someone who's a triple D. Well, I I do have double D's, so it makes sense. <laughs> and then the, of course, the corduroy hat was a popular. Uh, nice touch. So we are walking Mets promotions. So we got the ghost fork bowl. So yes, best season of Mets promotions. I thought they did a good job. Now promote the on-field product next. Let's win some baseball games and you know keep the good promotions going. You know Clover Club, they're going to be re- renovating and making bigger. The Cadillac Club was awesome. My worry is that they're getting a little corporate with these price rate, this price increases. And everything going on in the new the bigger clubs is I, I hope they don't price out the fan. You know, if they keep sucking, they won't because tickets are three dollars. But you know, you hope you don't price out the fan and get too corporate because that is, becomes very much like Yankee Stadium. But Figgy, it's been a fun season. We had some good guests this year, and uh, you know, we'll see where the future holds. We do expect the QBC to happen on December 2nd and flushing at the hotel there, and then off season, you know, when they hopefully sign Otani or Yamamoto and get a new manager. It's been a good year despite the struggle. A lot of ranting, a lot of raving, but uh, it is now over and we can resume our lives. Well, well, of course, that makes for a good podcast, right? You have uh, two guys looking at things, sometimes from different perspectives, but uh, at the end, you know, we we wanted the same thing. We wanted a a competitive team, a team that was able to go down to the last week of the season with a chance to make the playoffs. You know, they came a little bit short of that, even with uh, all the randoms that they had there at the end of the season. Um, but you see, you know, hope on the horizon. So I, I think it's it's good. Uh, it's it's gonna they're gonna put a competitive team in place, and whatever that means and how they do it might look a little different than you're used to. You know, it might not be the uh, you know top three guys uh, in every category you're trying to sign. But I th- do think that you, when you're talking about those two upper echelon guys in a Juan Soto and a, a Shohei Otani, that those generational type talent. Blake Snell, we've seen some bad years of Blake Snell, but it looked like he finally turned the corner and figured out his pitch mix. And uh, I, I think, you know, he, uh, left-handed, of course, is a commodity and he'd be great at the top of the rotation. After that, Dave Stearns is going to have to show you his baseball acumen and and uh, whatever the staff that's put in place, the analytical staff and the coaching staff and the special assistants to the GM and everybody else that come aboard and say, I think this is the right guy. We'll see what they make fit, um, fit for next year. And We'll be tuned in. We'll be there for the big major announcements. And then after that, we have spring training next year where hope springs eternal and uh, you just never know what could happen. So I I think uh, it was a fun year um, for, you know, we got to see some growth from some of the younger players. We also got to see, you know, Pete Alonso continue his uh, his savage attack on baseball. Uh, You got to remember that they talk about, oh, through five years, you know, look at where his numbers rank. He's missing 100 games still. And in 100 games, he easily hits 25 home runs. So you think another 25 home runs added on to that number that he has now, and he breaks the all-time record for the first five years of a season, of a career. So, yeah, Pete is a special player, and he deserves to be a Met for life and get paid thusly. And just go win next year. You know, we, we had all the expectations in the world. 
to end up to 74 wins. Go in. Whether the show's back or not, it's been fun, and we hope. Whoa! You never know. Hey, oh! We've been four years of this. You know, I, I don't know. I can't guarantee that it's going to be back. So, you know, if this is it. You're already saying you want the Buck Showalter send-off right now? What do you want, Jake? Jesus. <laughs> you never know in this business how things are going to go. So, um, if we are great, and hopefully the Mets will be great again next year, Fun time at the ballpark. Good seeing people out. Thanks to, you know, when we had Tri-State Cadillac on board. Thanks to those who came out for live shows. Thanks for tweeting at Amazing But True, at Jake Brown Radio, at Figgy NY. Follow along on Twitter for potential emergency episodes. Catch up on all old episodes. And, uh, you know, until next time, which we expect would be a manager is next. Enjoy the playoffs. I can't say I'm going to be locked in. You know, the Marlins end up getting in. We'll see. I think it's probably going to be Figgy something like Braves Astros or Braves Rays. I mean, maybe the Orioles go on run. I, I think the Orioles are some kind of special. They just took it to another level in that second half. I mean, the Orioles are definitely going to be there to contend with. Tampa Bay's done it over and over again. They're like the Dodgers, you know, from the National League, where it's got to be their time eventually, you know, that they break through. But I think um, the Braves and Dodgers are the cream of the crop, and one yeah. of those teams ends up winning the World Series. Yeah, they, they, they just, they, they're the gold standard. And if you're looking at organizations and how they're built, they've done it two different ways, uh, but they've gotten to the same point where they are the upper echelon. So until we get to that point, we're kind of still looking up at what could be. Um, yeah, thanks to all the fans. Thanks to everyone who's listened and spread the word about the podcast. Thanks to everyone who runs into Jake and asks for a t-shirt because uh, there are awesome t-shirts. I still have like four or five. I got to give away. They keep asking me for them. Well, if you have a black one, Donovan Mitchell Jr. keeps asking me, or Senior. Junior is uh, in the NBA and has two shirt, one or two shirts. But Senior wants a black shirt, and I don't think I have any left. So if you have any, give one to him so he stops asking. Yeah, no, no worries. I think I have one still. Uh, I got to find where I, I last left it. But I think um, one of the other things, of course, is, you know, your input, um, you know, writing in the comment section, you know, wanting to be more interactive next year, wanting to be able maybe to do something where since we do these things live, you know, open it up like we you know, an Instagram live where people can comment and we can just kind of address certain things right there and then so you can get your beefs off your uh, off your chest while they're happening and not wait another week. From, uh, what was the guy, uh, Vinny from up in uh, Minnesota? Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy. yeah. Jim, <laughs> he, he, he rescinded his one-star review he told me and changed it to four so four nice. out of five i we'll guess take we'll it. take the upgrade it's still rather <laughs> five but well good to go from one it's like uber driver four. right <laughs> listen we always try to have fun if you're gonna rent me fine i mean i'm glad you listen and uh you don't you don't like us so be it you know if you see us in person good people and uh we'll, we'll have a beer and a cookie sometime and speaking of cookies thank god the season's over because i have just gotten so fat this year i just <laughs> ate so much at the ball what happened to healthy jake what happened to uh, chicken and broccoli jake those days i uh, did get broccoli before the show at the, at the supermarket so uh i'm gonna get back to healthy living starting today well giants are on baby tomorrow uh, <laughs> i'll get back to healthy living stopping at the ballpark so thank god for that sake that the season is over to stop eating Thanks, everybody, for listening all year to Amazing But True. We'll catch you next time. Stay tuned. And, you know, the Mets did lose Sunday for the finale, but we win here on Amazing But True. So 3-2-1. Let's go, Let's Mets. Let's go, Mets. Maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs>